Okay, say something again. Monkeys. Monkey. Okay, that's the word of the day. Ah! Well, you actually wouldn't know what that expression is from. Okay, so that was an example of us uh, having learning, a learning disorder there. Um, I don't really have much of a checklist. I don't quite... Okay, so... So I always like leading with a little bit of administrivia just to catch people up. And because we tend to not have any, any people in channel just now for reasons. And uh, we've been doing some changes that uh, to improve things on our end to make life a lot easier and smoother and possibly better looking one day, possibly better sounding one day. Um, but the, the groundwork is being laid right now. So uh, sorry about my goof up. Anyway, hello lurkers and bots. So I'm not sure what I'm going to talk about today, but I was pretty uh, beat up last last show, and I'm I'm actually not sure what happened to my voice. It's a uh, it's the first time in a very long time, and the difference has been well, I've been starting to eat oatmeal again, so I mean that's a bit of a difference, but I mean like right now I had oatmeal for breakfast and I had some oatmeal yesterday and it's been a regular once or twice a day thing and, and and nothing and nothing but I was offered a pastry of all things I was offered a pastry and it was one of these little I don't know what it's called an apple fritter it's uh like a triangular and it, there was apple in it it was like a hint of apple because they were being cheap but it was is it was much pastry and uh, I love those. I used to live on those, um, and and it was it was good. I liked it. It agreed with me. Like it didn't upset me or anything like that. But that's the one change in my diet that I could identify as being you know, re maybe related to what happened to my. It's not exactly voice, but it's like throat and stuff. So, so as I've said before. If, if you can pay attention to the way you feel and kind of link it back to what's been going on in your life, then you can, that's when you have opportunities to learn. And not everybody has a, a good memory at all. And sometimes you're, you're busy, you have obligations, you're rushed, or you're just not the type. And you're, you might be on autopilot, for example, because you've got a lot of stuff. And so things can happen. And you, you don't know why, because you weren't really present for all of that. And that, that state is actually, um, that is a valuable state to have, to just get through the, it's not, a, it's, I mean, there is a version of that for getting through the hard times, but there's a version of that for just droning through monotony or other complexities in life where you being ever present and in the moment is actually kind of torturous. So if you've got one of those boring jobs, like being, being in Buddhist, right? Being in the moment is actually, uh, is seriously painful. And so a lot of people just kind of tune out and, you know, get the job done and it doesn't make you less competent. It doesn't mean that you're doing things unsafely, not necessarily. And a lot of people do that when they're like driving to work. It's a route you know, it's a vehicle you know, it, it's the time of day. Everything is is just so, and you just kind of like chill out and you got some music going, you got, and, and 
it, and from home to work doesn't matter, right? You're still a safe driver. You've got a lot of autopilot reflexes and stuff happening because humans can do that, but you don't need to record every moment in your memory. You don't need to, um, you really don't just don't need to be present for all that because there are more important, more valuable experiences that you should hold on to. And you only have so much space in your head. I mean that literally, like you are a being bound in mortality with the constraints of the finite. There's only so much that can go in your head. And I know for young people, um, young people, especially people that are younger than adults, um, they can't quite wrap their brain around that. You can tell them, but they've never really experienced it. Not really, really, but like reach back and find the clarity in your memories. And a lot of them are just kind of constructed. They're, they're placeholders and things get fuzzy. And what happens is you hold on to, you hold on to what's important, but it's not what you think is important. It's what's actually important. And so you, uh, so people that are traumatized, and that's a very strange word, but people who are traumatized will, uh, cling to that. And that happened, like what constitutes trauma and what clinging means is different. And it's a complicated thing. And it's very individual. And I don't mean like, um, you, you get kidnapped and put up for ransom or something like that, because that's, that's trauma, obviously, but there's all kinds of stuff like, um, like say you're a kid and, and for reasons nobody ever understood, um, you sleptwalked or something like that. So you, you were a sleepwalker, but only when you were a kid, but when you were a kid and you were sleepwalking and you were snapped to, or it was brought up, you felt guilty. And you kind of grew up with a childhood that had that in the very early days. Now you can grow out of that and you can grow into an adult, but there's something in there where you felt guilty for being in the way or being a, a bother. And a lot of children have a version of that for their youth. And that, that's not actually, there's not an adult version of that, but children have a tendency of wanting to be uh, low maintenance it's, this is something I've heard from a lot of adults who become articulate enough to explain these things. So there, and that, so that's kind of a trauma in, in a very weird, very, um, it's constrained sense. So it, it is its own unique sense. So there's a concept of an in the way trauma that children experience that sticks and the adult will kind of relive it and it becomes a personality trait. And it becomes, you, it's something like sociopathy, which is, which is bad, quote unquote bad. And that's something that is, those are, that's taught or forced or trained into a human. They become like that. Well, that's because there's a, it is ever reinforced. And so for, for children and growing up, etc., there are going to be certain things that are ever reinforced. So when I'm talking about memory and being present and and stuff like that. Um, the, there are the things that you would like to remember forever. Some people are able to do that better than others. 
some people can train to do to become better at that and so you can hold on to your your hopes your desires your best experiences all these things you can relive you can just revisit them over and over again and you maybe that's a good thing maybe that's not a good thing depending i'm not people are individual but that also tends to happen for negative things including your own misinterpretation of the negative things in your life it's like that thing you did that one time that thing you said it might not actually mean anything now it might not have even meant anything then but it's a it's a nightmare that you keep redreaming and these are the things these are the two two events the two things that stick in your brain and those are the kinds of memories that's that that um that become most i don't want to say influential but if you were to reach back those are the things that stick out so it's not the droning it's not the driving at home it's not the boring job it's not the right it's not the in-betweens that that really matter so your brain will kind of have this collection and those are the those are the well those are like the little bits of sand embedded in sandpaper for your memory there's lots and lots of other stuff that's there but these are the most active memories that that sand against the wood of your personality okay that that doesn't really work but you get the idea so why did i go down that train of thought i can't remember how i started any of that other than i have a terrible memory okay well anyhow so so um meaning you're supposed to be the one with the memory actually i don't I, I think just anybody else near me is supposed to be the one with the memory uh okay so yeah <laughs> i mean i was thinking of doing this on my own as a live show and what i would actually do is i would pause and i would rewind my own recording just to like i would have like okay well st- okay we're gonna stop here and have a break like right just then and there for no reason and i'd go back and i'd rewind and, and listen to what i was doing <laughs> so we'd go back in time and branch off your own thing from and, somewhere and, else yeah yeah my my very immediate past self from five minutes ago <laughs> would would it would remind me of what the heck my train of thought was um but it, it okay well this is me right so know yourself i suppose so i have to work with what i've got i could try to improve myself but i mean i'm not young so try try i guess anyhow um so uh i remember i was talking about my voice okay so the memory thing this is why i have bullet points so um i i I have a thing that's unique to me that lets me collect more data, even from my intermediate stuff. It's not like being present and remembering stuff, but those like droning on and on experiences in life that, that others tell me they have, I don't, I don't have it quite like that. So I don't have a photographic memory or anything like that, but I can reach back reasonably well under certain circumstances so i do remember that i had that pastry and i do remember what my diet was and those are the most directly associated things to my throat in this case so when i experienced that and 
uh, I reached back into memory and, and that was really the only change is this, is this one pastry. And I'm trying to think, okay, well, what is this pastry like? What's different about it compared to everything else I've been eating? Cause I, I have a, I mean, can I say that I have a fairly consistent diet? Cause just the other day I went out and, you know, I ate out and that, that you don't even know what the ingredients are. It'll have, uh, the general theme will be written on a menu and you get that and you know the theme. So I know that there were potatoes in the fries, right? I know that there was <laughs> beef in the hamburger, right? Like you, you kind of know these things, but you don't really, really know because you don't have the ingredients list for every single part. And I know before I had a hot dog and I know like, okay. So I still kind of have to think and reach through I mean, those other things didn't result in this. Like, well, maybe it was something I did six weeks ago. Because some people are so weird and so sensitive that it really does take a while for there to be an impact on their life. So could, it may, maybe it was this thing I ate for lunch a while ago. Maybe, right? I'm, so I have to kind of remember all of those differences and see if they actually matter. And so I'm, I, I looked at the ingredients list of this pastry and I'll probably just set it aside and research it a little bit more just to see, cause I recognize some of the words, but when you're looking at, um, preservatives of various sorts and preservative isn't necessarily a bad word. Cause like ascorbic acid is kind of a preservative and that's one of the forms of vitamin C. So, like, don't be scared by, uh, by that. Now, maybe it, it's good or bad in a certain context and stuff like that. I don't know. But there's a bunch of other stuff that I recognize in there that I don't actually know if they're good or bad or whatever. I don't think I have any sensitivities to any of the ingredients list. And I was looking at them thinking, well, I wonder if it's gluten, right? I wonder if it's gluten because I, I almost never eat bread anymore. I don't have that as part of my diet. That was something I consciously cut out. I mean, on a previous show, I had talked about the, the defense mechanisms of plants being something very subtle. Like there's a reason why a lot of animal, like a lot of mammals don't eat grain, which is mysterious. Like we force feed them because they'll eat whatever we tell them to eat because otherwise they'll starve. So, and you can train all kinds of creatures by, it's not like it's food that's the treat, it's they're otherwise starved. And so they're excited to have that little bit that they're given. This is how dolphins are trained. It's really not a good idea to do things to animals. Um, do this or you'll get food. Yeah. And there's a version of that that's done with, with training dogs. And I'm very conflicted about how how dogs are treated so first off i know i know i'm not going to make any friends saying this but i don't like dogs and i don't like dogs for all kinds of reasons um I, of course i don't like dogs because they're they're big and they're loud uh, because they defecate on the sidewalk i don't like dogs for all kinds of reasons i don't like them running up to people i i just don't like them right but there's more than that um, I don't like them on a deep philosophical level. People very correctly attribute a kind of personality to these animals and they're animals. 
but they're they're very much bred to be more human than wolf and we and they're not people they're not humans but they are very frequently family members we do understand we do give them a version there's a version of um, imbuing spirit to things so this is animism which i'm very much um understanding of and and imbuing dogs that way means that if you put dogs under certain circumstances or you treat them in certain ways that's wrong that's wrong because you're imbuing them with a kind of spirit that i mean it's not the same thing as a human but it's close enough we bond close enough and i i recognize i recognize that from me to other things and i do recognize that from other people to dogs in general or their dog or their dog from when they were a kid or 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 and that's why i don't like dogs because i don't think that um that i think that a lot of those creatures are, are bred into being toys and i think that's just wrong this is not some sort of gmo argument this is not some sort of uh, mankind should not play god over these things i mean to whatever degree i can think about these things and say under whatever circumstances whether or not they're true um but it's not that it's not that that bothers me so much it's the fact that it's something like an abuse of of that life to breed it into being what we want for our entertainment i can totally get the argument for breeding food in certain ways but we don't imbue like we don't have the equivalent of vegans for for vegetables like we've got gmo arguments but it's not empathy that we're talking about it's selfish when we're talking about well we shouldn't we shouldn't breed whatever like canada is the way it is because we learned how to engineer wheat and if we didn't do that we'd be dead because we need that as a staple crop or we have at least for a long time back in the day we had a wheat rust which almost had a starve we almost had a famine because of that we learned we learned to have multiple breeds we learned to be archivists and keep all the old breeds we learned to have variety and that wasn't wrong and that still isn't wrong and if we were to genetically engineer this stuff to have variation to be hardy etc cetera, etc cetera, i've talked about all this before and i can again but for for dogs there's something morally wrong about about breeding something that we imbue so heavily with some kind of spirit that, that we're that we're manufacturing that that and the way we treat these these creatures i mean they are in some sense at least at the very end point our creations and it isn't that now that there are creations we have certain ethical responsibilities that's a separate argument but it's like you imbue a dog with all these properties um more or less rightly so and then you treat it in certain ways you you treat it to be entertaining you treat it to act in certain ways you you um punish it or you reward it in certain ways to craft it to craft the not just the physical material side of the creature was crafted but now the 
mental side of it was crafted. There's, there's just something really ethically odd about all of that that just makes me really unsettled around dogs, around the idea of dogs. And um, we're getting into that for cats too, which is the obvious thing to bring up. And uh, I, I really don't like what's happening with cats because, it, I mean, I'm a cat person, so that hits me a lot harder. Um, I have plenty of reason, you know, that one time I stepped in dog poo, that's one of the good reasons of not liking dogs in general, that kind of trauma, quote unquote, right? Well, cats kind of do the exact same. Cats kind of, uh, in the middle of sidewalks, well, yeah, okay, I had a cat crap on my pillow. Right? Uh, <laughs> it was angry at me because I, because of reasons, right? It wasn't my cat. Wasn't you, wait, what? How do you get a random cat? No, it's, it's, uh, it belonged to somebody else I was living with, but it wasn't my cat. Oh. And all cats love me. So when, if, when there were issues between me and the owner and I shunned the owner before we could move apart, it, it also, I also had to, I had to split, I had to break up with the cat and the cat took it personally, right? Of, of course. I mean, what is the, you know, mom and dad fighting kind of thing, right? And, uh, so, so the, this is one of the things that cats actually do to, act out in a sense and i yeah yeah well i mean i guess i kind of deserved i wasn't mean or anything still i'm still miss that cat but um anyhow that's not going to make me hate that cat or cats in general and that's not you can argue that i deserved it for not keeping my door open at night and making sure the cat can come and sleep on my chest and all those cute things um anyway Anyway, um, so, I mean, I suppose I'm sensitive to cats in that way. We're only starting to now really tinker with their breeding. Um, it's, it's unsettling. It's unsettling. Um, so I don't know, maybe, maybe, yeah. When you look at these movements of empathy, they're not really movements. They're just kind of these odd, it's not really a philosophy. Like, I, I like, how do I put it? I don't exactly agree with, with veganism. I like that it exists. I like that there are people that, that care, that do that, that are that, that follow that philosophy, because I think the existence of something like that philosophy can, um, because that's a general human trait for empathy. And I think that needs to be applied more broadly to a whole lot of other things. Like, um, I want them to be visible forever. I don't necessarily want them to succeed at their desires. I don't think humans should be necessarily eating mushrooms instead of cows, for example. And there's a lot of subtle things that I could talk about. And it would just involve me actually there because there's a way of thinking that most humans can't do that I can, which involves being evil. Most people don't want to just be evil and say, I don't care or say we have to, right? Most people won't make arguments like, um, well, that's, that's well and good. You can live your own life that way. Um, you must never ever be allowed to threaten my freedom and having the discussion in that way 
is uh, something that people tend to not be able to do very articulately, very eloquently, I should, guess I should say, a little more, more eloquently. Um, but I'm glad that exists because that's at least the starting point for the next kind of thing. Like, it's kind of a joke for me to say that there needs to be a vegan version for vegetables. But there kind of does because humans in general have the capacity for empathy in a greater sense and but it's it's they're all disconnected little things it is one idea the idea like the vegan idea is caring about things with pretty brown eyes like okay well yeah that's that's easy though that's easy mode empathy for creatures that we think are cute right that's it's the cute argument but it's it's very it's, I hate saying that it's very specific and it can be applied more broadly. We can see something like environmentalism as being very much the same. And it's, it's Gaia worship. It's empathy towards these ideas of these systems that we still don't really understand very well. And, but we want to, we want to love things. We want to imbue that sense of spirit on a, a massive, complicated system. And we want to pretend like we're gods. And it's, it's just like the, the ethics of GMO. It's just like the ethics of breeding animals. It's just like the ethics of breeding philosophies into other cultures, for example. It's we want to play God. For whatever reason, we can point at things that are dubiously correct and say, well, it works over here. We should, be, we should apply to all of civilization everywhere to all humans until the end of time, they must be oppressed into this philosophy. It's like, well, that, that seems very, that seems very wrong. That seems very colonial of you. That seems like slavery. That seems like, like oppressive, dictatorial. That's, it, it's, it seems like every other, uh, despot has, it, it's just wrong. It's wrong on so many levels because it's something that needs to, it's not something that can be um, forced. It has to happen naturally. It has to happen until it's a part of a culture without people being lunatics about it. And there's a, there's far too much of these, these ideas of empathy. And it's the strangest thing you can imagine. A person cares, they imbue spirit into something, but they themselves become the opposite. They become unempathic towards anything that isn't empathic. So the people that are neutral in general uh, become enemies, which doesn't make a lot of sense. You think if, if you had that empathy, you'd try to instill that empathy, not... Uh, Anyway, I see a connectedness to a whole lot of these different ideas just via empathy, via this some form, something like animism. And I like that veganism exists as a, a solid enough philosophy. Uh, as, as, I mean, I don't, it's not like I want to say uh, that it's great that somebody's a punching bag. It kind of is, but it's good that it's visible and unshakable. Like the idea is not going anywhere ever. And 
I like that it exists because it can be an inspiration for some version of that specialized for other things until maybe in a hundred thousand years humans actually figure out that they're all kind of the same that you know maybe veganism and the empathy towards gmo and the empathy towards animal breeding and the empathy towards the environment and the empathy towards you know child labor and and maybe they're all exactly the same thing we just haven't articulated how and people have just started by specializing in their own interests and just maybe there's something unifying in there that right and but the problem is that's like a religious unification it, it's a very yeah it's i don't know that people can really do that um things get a little bit complicated when you tr when somebody tries to articulate a u unifying philosophy of some sort um so i'm i and i don't want to go there so maybe <laughs> Maybe maybe uh, archivists can look back at this episode and and that will be the explanation of some cult that I start in 40 years. Who knows? Maybe I'll leave a, a horrifying legacy of of like there's the idea of of environmental uh, environmental terrorists. I think that might be the phrase in people that will take it to extremes. They'll actually go to like um, research labs and free the animals, that, that kind of stuff. That, that doesn't work out for all kinds of reasons because, I mean, it's like the the creatures that are bred for the, that awful, awful, torturous animal testing for the, that all stuff. You know, that's mandatory in China, <laughs> by the way. I mean, the People's Republic, I mean, the People's Republic, Republic of that, that. See, it's too many words. Just got to go. Sorry, guys. I can't pronounce it. Therefore... The People's Republic of China has mandatory animal testing. The Republic of China, I don't know. Probably not. Um, be for reasons that should be obvious. And, uh, and so there, there, are, there are creatures that are bred for testing purposes that are not necessarily natural, quote-unquote natural. I mean, they need, to be, they need to be, in some sense, compatible enough for testing purposes to humans that's the purpose is you're doing safety testing to make sure it's safer on humans safer and there's still testing that has to be done because allergies are weird and stuff like that so those like you can think oh i'll just free them all it's like well those are the things that would just get eaten by hawks as soon as they leave the, the gated area um so there are actual i don't know why i started talking about terrorism sorry that's probably a little that's probably a little heavy okay got a little bit of time until the next uh, segment so um i i i want to talk about our water <laughs> okay look so i don't know why our water is bad i don't know why it's going bad it wasn't going bad before so i don't think it has anything to do with like where the water cooler is parked because for a while i thought okay well there's sunlight sometimes that'll beam onto it and that's not a good idea because you don't want to potentially supply warmth and light and comfort to bacteria that might grow in there. If you live with somebody dumb enough to fill, refill from a water bottle that, and put it right up to the tap, because bacteria will creep right from the tap up into the tank eventually. This is what happens at offices. This is actually, you should be using the little paper cups like and quit 
and don't do refills, stuff like that. Like, this is going to be one of the, I don't, I can't really call it. <laughs> okay. So I'll just, I'll just say it this way. This is going to be one of the advantages of the entire, um, SARS NCOV 2 19, uh, event <laughs> that's occurred since late last year or middle of last year, sorry, middle of 2019, August, depending on who you ask. Um, one of the advantages is going to be people being more aware of these basic things. And it's, it's, there are, there are problems because most people don't understand how an immune system works. There are problems with it taken to an extreme, but people will become more aware. So they're not going to like be, be putting their water bottle up against the tap, right? The things like this are going to go away. So me talking about it's kind of pointless because people are just going to know. So I thought that the position of, of sunlight was a problem, right? I don't, I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. Um, and I thought, well, maybe it's the water. We've replaced tank after tank of water and it's not really, now it's chemically again. It's just actually chemically. It's not I know the difference between bacteria taste and chemical taste. Like, um, I once had where I was living, I once had a water hat. Okay. So I had really, really bad water and I decided to go looking to see if there was some problem at the governmental level that they knew about. And there's no mechanism for you. Your government is not going to come to you and tell you stuff. So that's kind of not what a government does or is for or anything like that. There might be emergencies where the government might actually get around to ringing a siren. Be like, hey, you know, a nuke went off, duck and cover, this kind of stuff. You're going to have the, that is a thing. And that's actually a thing cooked into Android 10. So there's actually this emergency thing I think is really creepy. So I turned it off, but there is an emergency service concept. I know a guy who's got that on his phone and he gets notifications of uh, kidnappings, for example. So if a child is kidnapped, he'll get a notification on his phone. Him and everybody else that's kind of connected to that network is now aware. I'm not sure what else it offers. Like maybe it's got the ability to show pictures and stuff like that. But that, if that helps a, well, this is the thing, like, we value children for some reason. The reason's probably going to be pretty obvious, but we, we place an extraordinary value on children. So this, this is going the extra mile for that particular kind of crime. At any rate, that's an example of how uh, a structure can push out. But for something like water, strangely enough, the government's not going to go knocking on doors. The government has no real way of getting a hold of anybody. So it's kind of, we're maybe evolving like the, the more technologically competent places on earth will push towards having the ability to, to do this, to communicate this. That comes with some extraordinarily dangerous consequences that I don't think people have really picked up on. Namely, um, the government is incompetent at, at its very nature. It has to be. And the, the difficulty with that is most people can't comprehend that. Certainly the young can't. They just can't because they haven't interacted with 
either the philosophies or the actual institutions. Um, and so having the government have communications channels is, has never worked out for anyone ever throughout history. It's a problem. Um, them having a monopoly on communicating certain stuff is kind of, it's not that it's corruptible. It's, it's incompetent. Anyhow, so it, it fell on me for it to be my job to reach out to the services to understand whether or not there was a problem with the water, right? Cause I, I would not have expected them to come and knock on my door. Okay. So I went looking and I learned that the government had a water hazard warning out that, that I, it was a boil. I think it was just called a boil warning where you would boil your water. And I've talked about the boiling water thing before. And so I learned, I learned about that. So I learned the taste of water that needs to be boiled and boiling is because of bacteria specifically. There are other warnings that might exist because there might be, um, certain chemistry problems with the treatment, for example. So there might be another kind of warning. Usually when stuff like that happens, um, they'll actually go around, they'll post notices. It'll be a neighborhood thing. Like if there's, uh, if there's a crack in a pipe or something like that and something, something seeps in, like, I don't even know if that's possible, but they, but they're replacing pipes cause there's lead content or weird things happen. Right. That's actually a really deep problem with a lot of Canada lead pipes, like old, old lead pipes. Cause like we're an old civilization and we don't have a lot of people. So we've got a lot of infrastructure that never had the financial justification for replacement. So we've got some old stuff that we're still replacing and there's a certain, um, acceptable limit for, <laughs> for lead content. Humans only live so long. So it's okay if we're exposed to a little bit of lead over a while. It's like, yeah, it's okay. Can't get rid of everything. Life's not safe. Nah. So it's kind of like, yeah, I understand that argument. It's evil, but I understand that argument. Um, yeah, we're, we're, I'm, I don't even know where I'm going ever. So, oh man, let me switch to something else. Let me, let me spend nine minutes talking about bacon. Again. So I feel a lot better after going, getting back on the bacon, um, a lot better. And, and maybe not having bacon is what hurt my throat. I have to think about that for a while. And, uh, I like that bacon is popular. I don't think that that bacon is going anywhere anytime soon. Sorry, vegans. I don't, I just don't think so. Um, I don't know that there's any replacement for it. I hope there isn't, but I want, I'm always open to understanding what the heck is going on. So I'm trying more salty food. I've talked about trying, I, I went entirely keto on other stuff and no change whatsoever. I've done, cause I've, I've been pork free for a very long time. Cause I just don't like the idea of it. And, uh, and so I've been a, I've been a very, well, I like eggs. So I like chicken. So that's, that's been my thing, but I went to beef for a while, did nothing in it, but just having a couple of strips of bacon for breakfast for a couple of breakfasts in a row is amazing. It's life-changing. Uh, I went looking and a lot of, I so we're Canadian and I'm being in Canada. Things are a little different than the United States right now. So in the United States, you actually have uh, a boom of meat manufacturer, but a, um, like a shortage 
of actual meat distribution because your just distribution plants aren't owned by Americans. And so the meat is being sent off to those places as preference because free markets allowed to do that. And that's a private company. So American citizens have certain kinds of meat shortages. So your prices are just crazy. Uh, Canada's prices have been going up as well. Canadian beef, like, sorry, Canada has a, a very healthy industry for, for everything really. Um, and beef is something we're very specific about. So Canada has uh, extraordinary standards for a lot of this stuff. And it's, I've been corrected by somebody that's in the, in the industry for the United States, because my perception was always Canada, Canada's health requirements or regulations were um, much fiercer than what exists in the United States. Our just, our standards are higher. And, and there's a lot of that that happens in Canada. <laughs> it's okay. So I, I always thought that maybe that's why our prices are a little bit better, blah, blah, blah. But we've got a really healthy market there. And I went looking for meat prices and the meat prices are, are getting quite expensive up here as well for no particular reason, probably because the Americans are buying more of our stuff. So the price naturally goes up, right? So market forces, and we have very, very strong uh, trade ties with the United States. So this kind of stuff happens. But I still went looking to see if there were alternatives to bacon. I actually found, I tried this, I don't, I can't, I don't know the names of all these meats. So, so, cause I'm not a meat guy. And so there's, there's like this boneless pork chunks, whatever they're called. They're big, long chunks. And there would be like the equivalent of sirloin tips, but for pork. And, uh, so I tried that, I actually cut that up and I treated it exactly like my other jerky and I, I turned it into, into, I dried it and I, I ate it and it wasn't very good. And maybe it's because I didn't quite, maybe it's the flavoring that I gave it uh, works better for beef than it does for pork. I, I don't know how this stuff works, but I tried it and ate it and did nothing, it made no difference, which is really upsetting. So I'm thinking, well, maybe it's just some other bit of bacon, maybe. And I actually, I did, of course it exists, right? I, I just didn't know. It's not my thing, but there are the, I can't remember the name of it. They're like, it. it's like bacon, only they're uncut. So it's like these big um, rectangular strips of pork of some sort. And I look at it and I can see the marbling and it just looks like bacon that hasn't been cut properly. So it's like, it's, it's like really like Americans kind of make fun about Canadian, Canadian bacon is just ham. And, and that's kind of true, but Canadian bacon is just higher quality, less fatty, much thicker, um, bacon, same kind of region and stuff like that. But this stuff I'm, I'm wondering, well, maybe I should pick this stuff up, but I'm looking at the prices going, well, oof, that's. But I think the price might be pretty good for the amount of weight that's present. I just, maybe, I'd, maybe I'd bake it, right? And, uh, but I'm wondering, because I've been thinking about stuff, because I was thinking about my throat and all that kind of stuff. I'm thinking, I wonder if it's the preservatives in the bacon. Like, how, is, is it a chemistry thing? Is there something that, that I'm sensitive to? Something that I'm missing that is, there's some... Um, what would be the term? 
some analog of some sort uh, within the the weird list of stuff maybe it's not the meat itself maybe it's maybe it's something else on the ingredients list hopefully hopefully it's not something that they just don't have the legal requirement to put on the the list like when they say spices when they say smoke maybe there's something in that and and they'll never tell their secrets right maybe you'll never learn maybe i'll just try enough different brands of bacon to kind of like shave out all of the things that are that are unique to each type and maybe there's something consistent between all of these different kinds that i can discover and honestly speaking i don't think i don't think this problem is going anywhere right i don't think this magic is just going to vanish i think that i am going to have decades of, of time maybe i'll just start like the the what do I call it? Like, maybe I should have been vegan all along blog and just talk about my bacon experiences every single day until 50 years from now. It's like, so yeah, you know, all along it was uh, sulfites. Apparently I just need sulfites, which I'm pretty sure isn't true. Cause I think I've added that as a preservative for, uh, making jerky. I I'll need to double check that. Um, cause I don't, it's the pink salty stuff that you can sprinkle on things. I don't think that, I don't think it's sulfites, but it might be. Um, you can actually buy that separately, but it came in little, little packets to make them optional for this other beef jerky flavoring that I, that I really like that. I mean, maybe I'll take the time. I think I will. I'll take the time and I'll look up what that is so I can recommend it to other people. Um, and if, if you like hot and you don't want to deal it's actually a lot cheaper than buying all the different components and making your own marinade because you end up having to to marinate stuff because basting doesn't really work you really want it in there because i don't i don't make uh i don't dry like jerky i dry actually as as thicker fatter steaks of stuff it's a, it's a different it takes a lot longer and you got to be really careful about it it's uh anyhow it's a it's an African thing, as opposed to what you might think of the standard, oddly shaped, fine like chips that Americans are used to. So it's 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 a different different thing. Um, so it ha marinades really matter, like, and so I think you can just do steak marinades and stuff like that. So I think I've had the sulfite thing, um, lots of more experimentation to do. So we're coming up on our our first break for a second segment. I think uh, for a second segment, um, I'm going to do more random stuff, but I have a bunch of notes that I probably should have talked about last show that I'll, I'll just go through this show. Hopefully Minion will remember what I've actually talked about before. Who knows? Okay, so uh... <laughs> we're, we're going to find out. <laughs> so I'll see you guys in about 10 minutes. I'm back. Oh, perfect time. I would say uh, yeah, we were just talking about the excitement of uh, of me with my onions. So we went out. Hmm? We're no longer on break. Scene switch. <laughs> You're right. It just delay. It's a delay for you, not for me. Okay. So. So uh, I. Okay. Green onions or spring onions or I don't know what other people will call them. Um, they're like a very beginner way of 
of learning that you don't have a black thumb, technically, right? It's not exactly a green thumb, but you get, this will be great for kids, is all you have to do is get green onion. It, it, if you use green onions or find a, find a, for this experiment, find, find a reason, find a recipe to use green onions, use them, but keep some. And you keep the little stub. You can just put it in water and then wait and it will grow. It will grow back and it will grow back fast. And it is a very tangible, immediate, fulfilling way of producing life. And uh, that's, I would consider that to be the beginner thing. It does not require anything but a glass of water on a windowsill. It's a wonderful, wonderful experience. I highly recommend it. Now, I did my experiment with that. I even experimented with planting it just to see what that, that was like. And because that's an escalation into understanding the pots, understanding the little plate underneath, learning about drainage, learning about the materials of the actual pot. Why is there terracotta that, so that's like the rock thing. Why is like, why would plastic be, be good? Why would it be bad? Uh, learning about sunlight, learning about soil type, learning about watering. It was the entry point from which I could learn all this other stuff. And I'm good. I'm learning a whole lot. It's great. And, uh, this is, and it's still not really a hobby of mine. So, so I'm learning about all this stuff. So I decided I would, I would buy a lot of it and I bought some really, I have some of them coming in, uh, not this coming week, but the week after. Well, you have more coming in. I have not green onions. I can't get them delivered here. So in, um, in the United States, you can actually get fresh groceries delivered by somebody like Walmart in Canada just doesn't have that. Isn't there a company that does fresh or that you're not ordering from them anymore? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can't get the, so it is possible to hire somebody like a taxi that will go and pick up something for you. And it is possible to make all kinds of these arrangements and delivery services. And like these are all doable. But a lot of the major chains in Walmart, like Walmart won't just won't deliver fresh. They're just the demand isn't there. Oh. And so I, but I was talking about the trays. I ordered on Amazon some uh, really nice, and I'm I'm not going to link this intentionally because I don't want other people to buy the thing that I like because its price skyrockets occasionally. And so it it became available again. I'm like, okay, I pounced on it and bought a couple, and they're the like these. Uh, they're not four railings, but there are these like railing. Um, that you can either hang or put on balcony railings. So the, these are rectangular, they're quite long, they're fairly wide, they're fairly deep, but they're not like big, big pots, and they're just perfect for onions, just perfect for this kind of green onion, not like regular onions. This is why I maintain that this kind of spring onion type thing is perfect for beginners, because the step from water on the windowsill to potted is really easy. It doesn't require a lot of space, lot of anything really it doesn't even require late you don't even need to fertilize liquid fertilizer or anything like that you just just put it there and it'll work out and so i bought like now i'm going to get four of those trays so i bought eight bunches of of green onions and 
I did that because I found a place that sells them organic. And that's not some, like, I, there's a lot I could talk about, about organic not being what people think and not necessarily being a good thing. And, um, but I went for organic because organic tends to mean not GMO and all this other kind of stuff. And I just want something that has a level of quality that, that it at least exists because the other onions that exist are like, yeah, it's, it's an onion from somewhere <laughs> like, but at least organic means something a little bit more, at least in Canada. And so I bought a whole lot of that and I'm going to, I have it all in water and I'm starting from scratch. They're all the same from the same place. Like, so they're going to be, I think maybe in every, um, grocery store, they're going to be all exactly the same. I don't know. Right. They're all different prices, but I know some were not organic. Some were, I just want them to be consistent. So I bought enough to fill for these, for these big trays. And so I've got like eight glasses of eight. I've got Mason jars, eight Mason jars on my windowsill with a full and full of green onions. So it's going to be really nice. And I'd be a little bit more careful and, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to have some fun with this. It's going to be great. And, uh, so that's, that's exciting. I need to go out and clean up my balcony and give them a little space and I don't know, maybe move my, t move a table out there kind of thing. And so, yeah, kind of, it's not meant to be like a garden. You can sit in and enjoy. It's still kind of a little experiment, but it's going to be like, like mine. It's going to be like my little, my little onions are going to be in a tiny little field. <laughs> it's going to be funny. And from there, I'll develop a little bit more comfort. And I think the next thing is garlic. Garlic requires more depth, I think. I don't fully understand what's going on with garlic, so I need to learn more. But man, you, you just take the, you... Well, I guess while I'm on this rant, I'll explain what I know about garlic so far. Okay, so you know that garlic comes in these bulbs, these clumps of stuff. And sometimes if you just leave it around, it'll sprout these little... So you actually know which way's up and which way's down, because you can see the bottom has a certain texture to it where roots would have grown, but they kind of, whatever, snapped off or whatever happens to prepare them. And you can actually break that bunch up, and there's certain slivers that are just too small. So those aren't good. Because those small slivers will try to crowd out the same amount of space as a more large one. So you get the bigger ones, the, the ones that are really well intact and all this kind of stuff. You, all you have to do is take it, you, you, stick, you know which way is up and down. You stick it downside down, upside up, and you stick it a certain amount underneath the soil. And then you kind of pat it in and you water it. And you water it a lot and then you water it a little less and a little less. And it'll sprout. And it like grows right away and it's just days, days. And what a, what a wonderful next step that would be to move from, because that, that's that you don't start that on a windowsill. You start that right away in a pot, right away, even more outside. Maybe I have to make it like on my front step or something like that. Um, and maybe have to know the weather and bring it in so it doesn't get rained on. Like, I don't know. So that's a, that's a, a fine next step. And maybe after that, I don't know, 
I need to get around to like potatoes are the classic one, but I think that's a little that's a little advanced at this point because harvesting potatoes might be annoying. I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing, but it's fun. I'm kind of learning, kind of having fun. I'm kind of making things that are mine, kind of accomplishing things. So let me um let me look through some notes on maybe what I have or have not talked talked about from the previous show. So, so I'm trying to keep notes from each of the shows to, well, that doesn't even have a date on it. Uh oh, uh, maybe I haven't talked about any of this. Oh, that would be awesome. What is it? Or what do you think you haven't talked about? I have a pile of notes. I don't know if I've talked about any of these notes. Probably not. Say a few of them. Huh. Okay. So let's see. I talked about the bacon and about feeling better with the bacon. Have I talked about bacon smell? I don't think I have. That was one of my concerns with the entire bacon experience is, is that, I mean, in all cooking has a scent, right? There's some things that, that are common enough. Maybe it's a cultural thing. Maybe it's just a, a nose thing. Like certain foods aren't a bother, but some foods are, they hang heavy. They might last a long time or, 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 right. It's different for all kinds of stuff. Bacon is one of those things that is thick and fairly lasting. It is a definite punch in the nose. And that was one of my biggest concerns is I spent a long time hating the smell of bacon. I, I, I don't like it. I, I resist the things that I like. It's kind of annoying. Um, and so I don't like the smell of coffee. It's too, there's a tease there that I really don't like, and I don't like bacon and I don't right. So, and I've always, and I'm always hesitant about bacon because I don't want to bother other people with the smell because I know there are some people that I've lived with, with it, that are sensitive enough. And it's, it's kind of like, I need to admit my hypocrisy because I moved from that guy that hates bacon, that wants, that does just doesn't want other people making that stuff to the guy that has to make it. So like, I get to feel bad every single time I make bacon and I have to think about other people being kind of like that old version of me that don't like the smell. As it turns out, I know a lot of people that like the smell of bacon. Like they really like waking up to the smell of bacon in the morning kind of thing. So, so that's wonderful to have, but it's still, I still like ha the morning lark thing would work really well if first I could cook without bothering people. And if I could make sense without bothering people. So I kind of don't have that experience. So bacon tends to be like, like, uh, uh, well, let's say at the weekend, it's, if it's the weekend, then it would have to be after everybody wakes up. Right. Like I'm not going to, if people are sleeping in like a person sleeping in until nine or 10, let's say not minion, but like a normal person, then I would, I would wait until my lunchtime or whatever. I would wait until after they wake up to actually cook because I wouldn't want the smell to wake somebody up. So, so that, that's one of the, and I mean, it is, it is really unfortunate, but it's one of the things I kind of have to live with. Um, so have I talked about pen pal stuff? I talked about it a long time ago. Um, and I went looking into it again. And, uh, cause I, I write, I learned that I am a writer 
And so I went back and uh, went through a bunch of notes and I, I, f I went on this little adventure to learn about pen pals. And one of the classics is there is a pen pal system for prisons. Particular, I think that's just an American thing. I don't know if that's a thing in Canada anywhere. Um, and so a, a prison pen pal system, I don't think that interests me at all. Um, but uh, there's, there's stuff for seniors are into this still, at least some. Right, because pen paling isn't exactly popular globally, isn't really popular. Uh, but there are other people everywhere else in the world who um, like it for the exposure to authentic language, which makes no sense because we have the internet. Like, this is one of the things, like, I actually have two typewriters, neither of which I use, but I actually own them. And, like, why own a typewriter when you can just use a computer? It's, it's like, well, there's something... There's, there's more to the thing. There's more to a lot of things. And there is an experience to be had, as it turns out, my experience is best with pen and paper. And the experience of pen and paper writing to other people is, is going to be different. So it's something that I, I know about, that I'm looking into exploring. And, and so uh, I, it's more tangible, I think. There are people that do the equivalent, but through email. And there's some weird concerns because, like, you have an address. And having an address is a strange thing to make available to other people. So maybe I'll get a, a post office box, or maybe, maybe, maybe. So I'm still, I'm still thinking about that, about what's going on with that. And the thing is, there are uh, a lot of these, they're, they're, the thing about, the thing about a lot of this is people assume that connections to other people are romantic. And, and the idea of letter writing is meant to be, so they map over what exists, unfortunately, uh, in the dating, online dating website type stuff. They map over that culture to letter writing stuff. So they think about profiles in a certain way. They profile pictures are a certain way and 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 it's like that 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 doesn't make any sense it's like you like i do know a guy who met his girlfriend and actually moved out there to live with her and uh he i believe he's married now and that that's just not a thing it's not a thing i knew him quite well and but that was across the country but that's, and that's ridiculous. And I can't comprehend how that could be a thing across the world by letter. Like you send somebody a letter in, in, in today's day and age. If you send somebody a letter and you don't make it airmail, it's going to take three months. Not joking. And so some people have multiple pen pals for this reason. And so it's kind of exciting when something comes in, if something comes in. Because there's no obligation, no timing, etc. And it takes a lot of time and maybe some, some thinking to... I have no idea what people write, which is a little weird. And the, the idea of making that romantic, I think humans are just like that. So I'm, I, I'm open to that notion. However, however, treating it like it's dating makes no sense. 
makes no sense if it's uh, across the country, certainly, and makes no sense if it's across the world. It, so I don't, I don't understand how there are the equivalent of pen palling things, but with this that allow this angle at all. And because that angle exists, a lot of these websites are for pay, which kind of makes sense in some sense. If there's curation of all these people, I don't even know how that would work. But um, so, and it's really weird because the thing is, this. I mean, obviously, if it's for dating, you're gonna. It's going to be. 18 and over. See our previous show on what it is to be an adult. So whatever arbitrary age. But for pen palling, that's not a thing. And that's not a thing. And that's maybe that's not a thing on certain websites. Um, maybe that's not a thing on all of them. I can't remember. Because I've, I've only gone through a little bit. I haven't really made it a research project or anything like that. And, but you can imagine like you're writing to a nine year old as an adult that's not really ever a thing under any other circumstance, any other media ever. And there's nothing like, how do, how do I put this the right way? There's nothing wrong with that. We would say that that is, that is, we would, we would think really bad thoughts if it was just like, cause, cause there are versions of that, but they're predatory. And, and we've seen that as fact. Right? So we have a certain culture of understanding that online. But pen palling is different because the child isn't going to be the one checking mail, isn't going to be the one opening letters, isn't going to be the one that is reading or writing alone. There's going to it's a participatory thing with a parent there or a guardian, right? And so I, um, th that is, I don't know, that's vaguely interesting, but I don't think anybody that's that young really has anything for me to learn, really. Um, I, unless they can convey the Christmas spirit, because that's, that's useful. Um, so young, okay, well, maybe that's, I mean, maybe that's interesting. Maybe that's a, that, that's a fascinating experiment to talk with a parent and their child, um, partly because I do like writing and writing to a young audience might actually be interesting practice for this to actually learn how to write. I'm thinking about pivoting my book over to make it more appropriate for um, a young adult audience for possibly for... Well, couldn't you just talk to the child? Why would you need to gain anything from talking to a child? Couldn't you just talk to a child just for the sake of talking to a child? Well, what... Like what use? <laughs> That's the thing. What? It's not like what? What do I get out of it? It's there's nothing interesting there. there. There's what would I be doing? I would constantly be explaining things from my end, and they would not be interesting at all. I don't think that a human gets interesting until they're a really brilliant twelve-year-old, but at least fourteen, because that's kind of where I was when I started getting a brain. I'm, I'm pretty late, and so I think. I think high school is kind of where is the youngest I would care to learn from. I mean, they have interesting tastes in music and stuff like that. And I get to see a parallel of all the trends. Culturally, there would be massive differences, which would be interesting to learn. I don't think a child would be articulate enough for me to, uh, to 
bridge cultural gaps, for example, to, to try to see how they do things differently. Um, and, uh, but right for, so for my, my book, which I'm not going to really talk about is, uh, I'm wondering what the experience would be like of, of kind of writing that quote unquote down to a younger audience. Um, and the problem is I've got a couple of really, well, I, so like, what are the themes that I deal with in my book? Well, English professor, I deal with death. I deal with sexuality. Like already that probably, but like Twilight, which I may or may not have the hardcover collection of across the room, uh, deals with these things kind of, I guess. But I guess what I have to do is read those things and then say, okay, well, these popular things deal with or have elements of these things, or struggle with these problems or whatever. So it would be okay if I did. And uh, I, I'm I, that's going to be a, a drive to have me read some of these young adult things. So things like, um, man, what was the name of that? It was a terrible set of movies. But it was popular as books and it was popular as movies because, because, because. I think it's because just the young have nothing interesting. <laughs> so, so they like what they're told to like because that's all there is. So they're starved and they're trained by being given these little treats. And uh, I can't remember. I just can't remember. The face of the main actor is in my head, but I can't remember the actual anything. It's just one of these dumb superpower-esque things. Um, it has to do with the surviving humans being turned into factions. And they're all young for some reason. And, uh, and this, uh, I think the Divergent series, something like this. And uh, it's terrible. <laughs> but apparently the books are very popular. And so it's like Twilight was very popular, and that's meant for young young people. Uh, obviously, that translated to the big screen, and it was popular for different reasons. And I've been told that it doesn't really... I, You know, the book is always better, right? It's probably true. Um, but, I, I mean, I don't know. If you ever watched the original Total Recall, I'm pretty, pretty sure the movie was better than the short story. But the short story is pretty good, actually. You can... Can you, is it public domain? Might not be public domain, but it's pretty easy to get. I mean, it's, it's only a short story, so you're not going to get the, the rabid copyright problems. And uh, I don't know. I don't know where I got it, but if you look at uh, Gutenberg.org, I think is the website. The Project Gutenberg might actually just have it. Or the descendants of the author might be providing it for free it's um yeah there's a lot of short stories that got translated into movies and the movies are just better because 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 short stories have certain limitations and the movie expands a lot and just has more to it and is more interesting and 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 so so i'm i'm, I'm thinking of learning more about that stuff but i haven't really done the the book thing for a while because I've had some uh, upsets with the structure of my household. It's just too messy for me to sit down with other people's mess. 
for me to sit down and actually write because I don't have the space to do it and I don't like doing it in a bedroom which is just it's become an awful experience I'm doing too many other things in in a bedroom because I got a desk in it which I can't avoid right a lot of people can't avoid that and I can't go up and be in my kitchen at three in the morning to write because I can't be in my kitchen at three in the morning because it bothers people who are light sleepers yeah so life sucks and the book is gonna suffer oh well um Nobody knows about it and cares about it, so I'm not letting anybody but myself down and my future self down. And and a whole lot of people who are going to be really angry that I hadn't been working on this when I had every opportunity, if I find any success in the future, which, you know, you never know. Everybody wants to think highly of themselves, but you're probably pretty average. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, humans. So what else do I have here? Um... Minion, do you do you remember when I because I think I brought it up when we were actually when we were going grocery shopping, but I had talked about we you had this weird you you questioned why there were people parked like really really far from a grocery store, and I. I thought about it for a while. I think I brought this up the last time we went grocery shopping, which was, well, people are parking that far away because they're not people. They're employees. Mm. And they're being stuffed out there in the corners so that they're not taking up more comfortable space closer to the actual place. But we saw one car where we saw someone taking all their shopping supplies all the way to the corner. Might as well have been the, the opposite of the door of yeah. where you could walk in totally i don't think they were employees yeah so and that might be a weirdo that's that's i mean that wants to be separate but it might be the the times right because it might be the times it might be but that far away sorry but that far but literally exact the opposite corner well well yeah i mean We, we don't know why people act the way they do. So I know people are going to be acting different and strange because of uh, because they're worried about being near other people. And so people are going to act a little odd. So it could be somebody wanted to park very far away to physically be further away, like physically have their vehicle further away from other people for some perceived safety reason. Um, so who knows? Who knows? But, but I was thinking on this particular topic about, um, like you can imagine there could be that jerk boss who parks really close as though it's reserved parking <laughs> and they get in early and it's an empty parking lot and they don't think about it they don't, or maybe they're just, you know, it's the type, right? They're, they've got that just enough of the psychopathy. See previous shows about me talking about bosses and they're just like that. And so they, they park up close and the this is the example of a bad boss who they're the they're the person who stepped up to the opportunity because they were there first and so they were they're not necessarily more competitive than people than other people but they were there first and but there there is a consequence to accepting that kind of person as a manager type because they start taking these kind of selfish opportunities what ends up happening is a boss will park pretty close to 
they will park for their convenience and that is taking away a convenience opportunity for any number of customers for the entirety of the business day and it's so that boss there are consequences to hiring that boss so it's you hire that kind of boss because you're too lazy to look past that immediate opportunity and you take that opportunity because you don't understand how to make how to have how do you don't know how to filter out you don't know how to advertise the opportunity to other people you don't know how to because that's usually a forceful jerk so you don't know how to say no to that person so and on and on like you haven't properly incentivized the position so that the people who would be excellent at it they're looking at it going well i don't think this is enough reward for the risk you know because they have to be your boss has to be the bad guy this kind of stuff so the position hasn't been shaped right and the hiring process is lazy and so the these kinds of bad problems for hiring ended up for a lot of businesses they'll have a boss who will take advantage of the quote-unquote position of power and they'll do something dumb like parking up close <laughs> when the boss should be parking really far away as the example and just you know you, you have to be you have to be the example for all your employees and it's just but what if you're like someone who's respected and you're actually somebody everybody generally is okay with yeah and then what take advantage of that by taking yes. a good parking spot yes why not you shouldn't you shouldn't that's that's part of the uh, corruption of being in power um corruption even when everybody says that they're okay with that you still have to resist and still have couldn't to say you go no. with like a perk hmm? or something could you say couldn't you just say it's a perk or something say that again couldn't wouldn't you be able to say it's a perk or some perk or well yeah a lot of bosses what they do is they, they arrange things and they're like they give the perk that they want and they just give it to the top tier people the top performers or the and they use that as justification for them taking the best version of that um but and and that's the thing you a lot of people will just be paying lip service to being okay with that and you'll never know and that's businesses can be really weird like that because humans are odd and social and there's a lot of complicated weirdness and so it's possible for for this stuff to be kind of festering beneath the surface even though everybody is all nice and smiley there might be a lot of these problems so there there has to be like first off no hypocrisy uh, there has to be an an even hand applied to a lot of the policies and usually what ought to happen is the it the, the very first thing that a boss should do is be themselves inconvenienced rather than take advantage of opportunities um because there's there's a kind of corruption there especially because that boss um i mean that boss is also setting an example setting a structure up for um the next the next people the next bosses boy okay we got 17 minutes oh let me talk about russia wait hot <laughs> so there's this idea 
in politics. Um, You're seriously talking about Russia. I'm I'm totally going to talk about Russia really briefly. Just people understand. I actually know some stuff about stuff. So there's this idea because you're talking about bosses. The ultimate boss is going to be a, uh, a political leader, an elected political leader. And the ultimate, ultimate boss boss is going to be a dictator, right? It's going to be a dictator that doesn't look like one. And a lot of people say, oh, that's totally, that's Russia, yo. Which kind of is, things are different. <laughs> things are different. So, so, any place that has, I probably should just shouldn't go there. Okay, so it, go, it goes like so. One of the problems of stepping down from a dictatorship into anything, something sustainable, um, is you ha you end up having to go from that brutal totalitarian dictatorship into something else that is hopefully less than that. <laughs> People are like, well, okay, and, and you just kind of moderate down, moderate it down into something else. So you, you so the the Western world went from kings and tr tried to step that down into. No, I mean the British still kind of have a figurehead queen. Kinda, and things are complicated. And Canada kinda, kinda has some of that kind of vestiges sort of left over. Uh, Australia much more than us. Um, and uh, you know, the Americans went like way away. They're like, they, man, the tea thing. It was just a tea thing. They, they didn't need to raise taxes because they had to pay for your revolution. Like, like I should just like chill out and think like, okay, well, whatever, whatever, right? It's... Really, really complicated stuff that I don't fully understand. And But the, the person that's next in line, their primary responsibility is supposed to be making sure that things don't step back up into where where things came from. So, like, the last thing that... Like, the last thing the Americans would want is is to, to do, like... To separate from the British, basically go to war very briefly with the British... And then to elect their own king, <laughs> you, you don't want to go back there, and and the problem is sometimes that's a lot harder than it would be on paper. And in the United States, there, um, I'm not, I don't care about the contemporary stuff because I'm, I'm Canadian and it, things make no sense and are weird, and um, but way way back in in the day for the American separation is uh, they they wanted to ensure that things wouldn't go back to a king. So you end up having this weird intermediate thing. And so the, I'm, I'm talking about bosses taking advantage of their opportunities because that very first generation, that takeover, has can take a lot of the advantages of the pre quote-unquote previous administration, right? So, so however, let's imagine that they're just elected. So Putin was elected whether or not you think well of that that's what happened and his present endeavors and most people don't understand that have actually been to first he first things are kind of rigged in his favor like we should all understand that even he understands that um but his, his efforts have been to rig things so he is in power uh, okay well debatably and 
but he's also working to undermine his own institution. So when he leaves, things are restructured in a different way. And so when you've got, a, and most people can't comprehend this concept. So, I mean, in in a hundred years, he technically, if if what he's working on now works out, it will be, it will be worth it. All all of the all of the effort that he's been put in into his into his uh, efforts so far, all that work will have been worth it in, in at least the sense of, of power structure. And there's an equivalent for if you're in a boss, if you're a boss in a situation in a position of privilege where you can take perks because you can define perks and you can give yourself the best of them, just like everybody, just like the elected officials, the first generation after a king, they can take quite a lot if they choose to, and they can get away with it. And but one of the things is if they care, if they care about the longevity of the business, let's say, or their employees, which I think is really important, then what that person would have to do is is suffer as much of as possible, is to be as typical as employee, as peasant as possible, to lower the bar for their position as much as possible that's that's why uh, the americans their 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 king was called president mr president right the idea was to diminish that position as much as possible and that was a very it was f formal enough without being insulting but it was not a position of power it was not meant to be titled like that now, it didn't really work out like that. Um, and so a boss, if if a boss can, can get away with stuff but holds themselves back, what they're creating is a kind of an institutional structure. So if they leave or if they get hired uh, above, like they, they go from managing in this location to managing in another location, or they go up to be a regional manager or right they leave what they're leaving behind isn't uh, is less corruptible by the next generation of uh because usually what happens is so that person's a great boss and, and that the business is thriving that person gets promoted out to regional or whatever the heck and then the person that comes in is some psychopath that was in line from some other place usually from some from literally from some other location and they get just get hired in they were in line so it's just a blindsiding everybody that's in that location um and uh that person starts they immediately want to take advantage of all the opportunities but if the structure was built and it was lined up in such a way that when that person leaves, the person that comes in, there's no, there's no institutional structure for that person to define having an amazing parking space or to define like going home early. Or if none of those perks were used, first thing that would happen is that would all appear like hypocrisy against the previous administration, which, which is really good. <laughs> and, and maybe the mechanics physically aren't there, or maybe they were cited and specifically mentioned so maybe in the the documentation of the way the business runs it was explicitly written in that the manager may not have 
a parking spot any different from any other employee for any reason ever. Like that it will never be performance-based and that it will never be position-based and it will never be time-of-day-based. None of that. In order to explicitly um, disallow future bosses from being able to do that, that doesn't necessarily mean that the next generation of boss can't begin to undermine that, which is usually how kingdoms spiral back into where they came from or to something ancient, right? Because there are a lot of places where there, there's something that was before, something that was ancient or tribal or whatever the heck, that that mood, that part of culture is still around and there's a kind of a, there's a snapping back that things go to. So if a war washes over a region, the region will kind of, will kind of, uh, recover back into a state that's recognizable from beforehand and and but it's possible that that things get rewritten so anyhow so that's my attempt at politics so so um why do i know any of that i'm not even sure why i know any of that i love the business side of stuff so i pay attention to it and understanding um and understanding managers as bosses and understanding bosses as kings and tyrants. And you can map things over a tiny bit over to politics if you understand things well enough and if you're careful. Like, analogies are always false. It, it, when, you, when you push anything, when you push anything and map it over to everything similar and you, you start examining and examining you can play pretend that things are kind of the same, that, that things map over. You are lying every single time you do that. Like a, a king is not a president. <laughs> That's why there are different words, right? A, a manager is not a, a tyrant necessarily. You can start making, you can start drawing lines. And it's really important in order for you to really uh, grasp or in order for you to really articulate certain ideas because you should know when your manager is being tyr tyrannical for selfish reasons or for ego reasons. You should know this this language. You should be able to map it out well enough. Because employees are very much like taxpayers, right? And there, there are things you can kind of understand. You can map over. You know, talk to a libertarian, right? So do you like, taxpayers are just like slaves. Like, okay, that's wrong. Yeah, okay, explore that. Explore these ideas. Um, and sorry, libertarians, it's wrong. That's why we have different words for these things. <laughs> um, so it's it's linguistically it's and and kind of intellectually, philosophically, it's interesting to play with these with mapping over all these different ideas, just to see where it goes, just to see what it's like, to explore a little and to help. Um, to help fuzz out the edges of your individual jigsaw puzzle pieces, to help you understand how things are just a little bit related, a little bit overlapping. And just don't, you can't go very far with it because it's always wrong to, to, to say this is definitely like that. It's never true because this and that are, they're, they're defined differently. They're different words. They're different places. They're different times. They're different cultures. They're different, well, like, everything's different. So it's good to learn. It's, it's useful in a sense. Anyhow, 
So what do I have? Five minutes. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm still going through all of our original pre-show stuff and I'm really sorry that I haven't had releases. It's my fault that I haven't had releases or even clips for the last couple of shows. Um, I still have another huge number of stuff to go through, like, I don't know, 20 hours worth at this point, 25 hours worth of stuff. And I'm listening to all of it and I'm working on all of it. And uh, I did want to mention, so sorry about that. And the next is our very first show. Oh man, it bothered me. It's okay. So I was doing this constantly. I was constantly like, hey, well, if we do this and I'm, and, and that's me, me clicking with my pen and I would do it mid sentence. And that I just can't really clean that up properly because I don't know how. And, and I know enough to go through and like, do this compression technique and then normalize it back out. And I know how to blank certain areas and, and there are more advanced techniques, but man, was that a lot of work. And I've got another like hours worth of just of dealing with that stuff. So it's kind of intimidating. And, um, we, my most recent show, uh, the, that I was working with, uh, so, so the show before last, Minion was, was mouth breathing with his mouth, mic open and it was just so awful that I forced last episode for us to have separate audio tracks. And this kind of means that we're dealing with double the, like, exactly like yeah. that. So he'd be chewing on his mic like he just did nom, there. Nom, nom, nom. Yeah. Actually, that wasn't, that was me rubbing my mic against the side. <laughs> You're now you're just gonna say that you did it on purpose for dramatic effect. I'll stop that. that. See, Bad face. what's in what's interesting is now my setup isn't very good because technically speaking, what I should have is headphones on, and I do not. And uh, technically, I should be in a sound studio, and technically, I could build one over there. And technically, technically, and sure, and donate to my Patreon. <laughs> we'll get right to that. Wait, what? Uh, but we. we like this thing isn't this just certain improvements aren't going to happen right now. But what happened is by forcing having separate tracks, I can actually choose to isolate audio from one track or the other to make sure that they're treated separately to, to brighten or pick it up or do noise removal that's separate on the two different tracks. And uh, it would let me it would let me highlight and pull out minion talking at certain places perfectly and blend them in perfectly. And, uh, it's a little bit more hard drive space while I'm working. Uh, it's not actually much more work in terms of doing the editing itself. Cause I'll just play the tr two tracks. I'll sync the two tracks and then we'll play the two tracks simultaneously. And, um, and it just, it's, yeah, it's so nice. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. I'm so happy. And I went through and I restructured all of our existing shows, all of our existing data. We're still figuring out titling and descriptions and stuff like that. And <laughs> I still kind of want the date to be there. I'm not really sure why, but in the, in the title or yeah, well maybe in the title. Cause it's really easy to, I, to search for, but at least in the description, I don't think it's worth it. I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to go and look at what other people do. But it doesn't seem worth it. Nobody else does it. No? Okay, then. Let's they, just tie, they just do podcasts and the number, if anything. Yeah. Internally, we do have the dates. And um, 
I mean, that's fine because I do, apparently it's Japanese style. So we do, I have always insisted on year month day for everything I've ever done for a very long time because you can't sort any other date format. Uh, the American style is just incomprehensible to me. Uh, I, month, date, year. Is, is it month, date, year? Okay, well. American, it's, it's month, date, year, and everywhere else. It's either nope. year, month, date, or date, month, year. Well, that's the three combinations. <laughs> Correct, Minion. <laughs> um, so as I understand in Europe, it is more um, day, month, year, which is useless. And in Japan, it's year, month, day. And for programmers, it's year, month, day. And it's year, month, day because you can actually sort and have it actually be sorted by and clumped together and actually have it make sense. <laughs> And have day one follow day two, or day day two follow day one, day three dull, etc. You get the idea, and and that works. And so I've been going through, and I've been dating, and I've been editing, and I'm, I'm now adding links to all where all the shows actually physically are throughout YouTube, and and all this kind of stuff. So, and that's really fun because I'm an archivist, uh, but that's taking away time that I should be using for editing. So I, I apologize. That also means that right after this show, I'm going to be hitting that again and making sure that I'm I'm catching up so and I still want to have clips even though um, I want full shows out so lots and lots of time anyhow we're up on our second break we're going to take another 10 and we'll be back in about uh yeah we'll be back in 10 minutes I'll see you then I'm back well hello lurkers and bots we're going to do our final segment normally it's administrivia but I've talked a bunch about that already um, I am going to talk a little bit, it's related, I want to talk about audio engineering and a little bit about what I learned. And it's going to be really hard because I don't fully understand what's going on. So, so here, let me see if I can find some notes. Well, I'm going to have to turn the hard drive on. Oh, it's already turned on. Oh, good job, self. We planned ahead. Uh -huh. Oh, I unmounted it. So, okay. Hang on. Let's try that again. Okay. So, so one of the, I had to learn a whole lot because we had the hallway problem with a, a, a few shows ago. And that was because um, I was using my webcam mic and that was because Minion is dumb. And yeah. what? Yay. <laughs> and, you know, it's my fault because I didn't realize it. I, I, it slipped my brain that Minion was dumb. So I guess it's all my fault. So I, what I had to do is I had to think to myself, well, okay, I've got this audio and it's, it's important because it was, it was a show and there was some good stuff in there. There always is. And I knew that there were things that could be done and I, I knew that it would help a lot. So I had to, I had to research and I had to research and I had to do it and do it and do it and be, be pretty patient with how bad the results we're going to be and just keep trying until I learned the correct language of, of how things, well, every topic that you have is going to have its own unique language. And so I didn't understand anything about the auto editing, except a, a kind of a high philosophical 
a, a level where I understood things were possible. So I had to learn a bunch of new words and understand how to apply the techniques and all this kind of stuff. And the problem, the problem is I haven't quite mapped out the, the different techniques and how to apply them differently versus what results I can expect. So, so first, um, there's a phrase that I learned that I have to hammer home, which is all you can do with bad audio is make it differently bad. You can't make bad audio good. You can only make it differently bad. You, I mean, you can only polish it up to some well, extent. I mean, you can only polish a turd so much, right? You can, but, but there is improvement to be made, but there's only so much that can be done. So that has to be kept in mind that you have to be realistic with a lot of things. You just have to be realistic. Like odds are, and, and really you don't understand odds. I'm going to use the phrase anyway. Odds are you're not going to win the lottery. You have to be realistic about it. You can't bet everything on one horse. You, you can't put all your eggs in one basket. You can't like our culture has some wonderful expressions. They have lessons in there. And so I, I knew, I knew that I could only get so far, but I knew that I had to try really hard because that th this would be a skill that I'd have to, I'd have to know. And it's not really something I wanted to know, but I mean, I'm probably capable of it. Right. And certainly I think Minion's got his hands full um, of nothing and that's too much for him. So somebody's got to do this and it was the opportunity, right? It's not the opportunity I asked for, but it happened. I happened to have been able to find the time. So I learned quote unquote learned. I took a lot of notes because learning is hard and I'd rather take a lot of notes because some of these are just fiddly bits of knowledge. So, so I'm going to talk a little bit about that. And I know that this is not, this is going to kind of gently nudge some people in the correct direction to improve their own stuff. That's kind of what this segment is, tends to be about. It's, is if you want to do your own thing, something like this, you can kind of see where we came from and maybe learn to not make the same mistakes. And for nothing. So, okay. So first, everybody learns about noise, noise reduction first. So noise reduction is taking, is training your software to listen to a snippet of, of unremarkable, of unre unremarkable sound. So, it's usually just a few seconds. It shouldn't be, it should be longer than that of things where you're not talking. Okay. Now what should happen is when you start your recording, you should start with your mic available to be talked into, but you don't say anything. So it's an open mic listening to the room and you just let it sit 10 seconds. 10 seconds is generally considered a minimum. We do it for 30 roughly. And the idea is it's recording the ambient sound in your room. And with that much space to work with, your audio software can be trained with that gap of sound and can look at the rest of your audio. And even while you're speaking, it can look for that background noise and it can scrub it out and it can scrub it out and it can look across the entirety of your track. It can do it all and it can do it automated and it has results. It gives results. 
Remember what I said, you can only make bad audio into differently bad audio. That means noise reduction is not your silver bullet. You cannot make bad audio into good audio, but you can gently improve pretty good audio into slightly better audio, little clearer audio. And so right now, what you're listening to for the people that are live, what you're listening to is going to be worse than what is going to be produced. It's going to be engineered and put up on, in our case, we're currently using just YouTube. So noise reduction is one of the basic things that everybody learns about. It's pretty easy and it's got a lot of, um, a lot of automation, a lot of really good, gentle settings, really nothing, nothing to learn. The next is something called compression. Now, if all you do is noise reduction, that's great. Really at that point, probably what you should be doing is working on the acoustics of your room and stuff like that. Like I now don't have people doing laundry and that's, that's going to help a little bit. It's not really that important. I make sure that people don't slam doors. I have, I make, I put signs up. So people that are, that are not participating in the show. So like when Minion's walking around, he, he doesn't forget that there's a show happening. So he doesn't like knock on my door or something stupid. Like you never know. You, I, I don't make plans for people to drop by. See previous episode. Um, so compression is the next thing to learn. Compression is when you, t you, you, when you look at the waveform of your audio, if you put it in something like audacity, which I recommend it's free and open source, check it out. Works pretty good. You'll, when you're recording, you'll actually see the little waves, the little splotches of when you talk. So if you shout, you get a big splotch and you can zoom in and you can see the little wiggly lines. Okay. So what compression does is it, is it suggests maximums, limits, pressures on the, the high and low in that waveform. Okay. And what it does is it pulls it down. Now, this is the thing that people don't fully understand is it does not chop things off. You're not quote unquote losing stuff. If you have bad settings, you just have, you have bad settings. It's going to make the audio worse, worse than what you want. And so you, you need to find this gentle. And what that does is that actually pulls down the audio to a certain range and it's not exactly appropriate for everything everywhere. So if, for example, I have one loud snap like that, if that was a lot louder, what would happen is the track wide editing would see that spike and it might influence the averages for everything else. And that was one big thing to learn. So I'd actually have to go in and edit out all that stuff kind of manually, but there's, um, there it's something that solves that. Cause I looked for that and I'm like, Oh, this is, this is unbelievable. And I looked and I looked and something called a limiter and the limiter is actually capable of chopping off that stuff. So what you do is you figure out where your normal speaking range is. You might compression it, compress it down to a certain range, but you'll still have those bad spikes. So you do, you do a limiter pass and the limiter will, will lop off those big sharp tones and actually just, it moderates it already. So that's actually uh, a pretty good way of automating things. If you don't want to edit things by hand, I do do things by hand. So I'll actually find these things and I will manually mute the region after doing all these other things. 
It's like my last desperate attempt. And if that happens in the middle of words, this is really all you can do is all these automated things that, that try to distinguish between your voice and this other stuff and etc. So you've got the, the noise reduction, the compression, um, you've got something called normalization. So after you compress things down to a certain range, it kind of pulls everything into this sameness. And the thing is, if you've got two different voices, like Minion tends to be softer than me, and Minion's also got a different microphone. So we are going to have different voices. So you can treat these differently. But if they were both talking for the same mic, and you had two different voices, because you've got two different people, when you uh, compress things down, you can actually pull everything back up, everything back up in the same kind of way. You can actually brighten up you can improve the volume of your quiet speakers by uh, doing something called normalization, normalizing it all up to the same kind of volume. And normalization helps for people that, that have wild variations in the way they speak. Some people, they just have a cadence. So they have a, an up dance, up and down dance in the way they speak. And this can be very, very engaging. They're just like that. And so there are kind of excitable speakers as well who who will start talking louder and louder and stuff like that, where you'll have these massive spikes of volume. And when you've got stuff like that, you, you, the act of compressing all that stuff down a little bit and then pulling everything back up, it actually evens out those spikes. That's, that's not appropriate for all situations for all people, because sometimes you want to have those exciting bursts of, of noise. You want to have they're turning the frogs gay be nice and loud you want you want memeable bursts right and you don't want to necessarily mute everything down to being the same kind of volume and then have the enunciation be the thing that's picked up by your listener not the volume so there's normalizing it back up again then there's something called equalizing which is weird equalizing was a weird one to try to understand so human vocal range only is only a certain amount. So what happens is human vocal range. So we can only sing so loud and so deep. And there's some humans that are just wacky in the different directions. And some people have a certain constrained range. See previous show when I started talking about me loving the contralto voice. And what? I don't remember that. <laughs> You're not really present here, are you? So, uh, hell, I'll get derailed because I got, I highlighted the line that I was talking about. I'll totally, I'll totally summarize that again for you, for your benefit. But in exchange, you have to actually put the timer card back up so that we're streaming oh, with geez. it. <laughs> Do your job. What are you good for? Wait, no, we don't even, we're not on a break. What do I pay you for? Okay. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Less angry words is nice. Less angry words. Oh boy, do I have a catalog of stuff. But we we haven't quite we quite haven't quite readied you for the the meme worthiness that is my insulting you. Mm, I'm still not seeing no. a timer. Is, is this difficult? For what break? That's the thing. I need to know until the end of the show. Do you not have a timer for that? Hmm. Uh, at this point, we either keep going for a little bit or we're okay. done. Okay, so 
kindly write that down on your to-do list and we will make sure that happens because we need to make sure people know. An ongoing stream timer or a... Yeah, yeah. Time until end. We need to... People need to know, know when we will stop. Stopping well, early is stopping early. We could early. stop. That's fine. Okay. But people need to know how late it runs so they can plan around the deadline. All right. Okay. So the... Uh, Humans can be measured as having certain ranges of voice. This is specific for singers, and it's very much like musical instruments. And with a musical instrument, there are certain pitch ranges. So, for example, um, well, I mean, if you have a recorder, you can play so many notes, right? If you've got a piano, you can have short pianos, like the, the, the toddler friendly little pianos where you've only got so many keys but a different piano you'll have more keys it's wider it's got more keys and you've got something called a grand piano which has more and more and more keys out all the way out and this provides more ranges of sound that go higher and or go lower on one end so human voices are very much like that where it's and we can test it through singing because singing is in uh is turning the voice into a musical instrument and it explores the ranges of what's possible for that person and there are consequences and limitations for pushing out in certain ways and some singers have weird gaps like in the middle i don't fully understand some of this stuff but there are upper upper ranges and lower ranges but different individuals have a different segment so you can imagine having that grand piano but but every person has short arms and they have to shuffle their butt on the seat on the bench and they only get those keys and some people are shuffled over to the left some people are shuffled over to the right and they can only reach so many oops i just wow that was a really bad artifact that i introduced to oh jeez, ow <laughs> sorry about that um because <laughs> i was doing the raptor demonstration with my <laughs> with my elbows up against my sides going Arr. why would you so so you've got <laughs> because i actually motion and have expressions i'm, I'm not just a voice and the entire person is involved in this talking process so you've got your little raptor that's sitting on the on the piano bench and some are over way on the left and they only have access to some of these middle low ranges and some are further up. Now that tends to segment out into as a start male, female, females are, are not universally higher pitch than most men. So there there's massive overlap overlap because, you know, men and women are more similar than they are different, but women are common enough with the higher pitch sounds. Um, and you, so what you have is a vocal range and you can start predicting certain things. You can test things. You can, well, what happens if this singer, so you get, you get different names for these ranges of stuff. And so you have some men with these beautifully high pitched voices where their normal range is pretty high, but they're capable of these extraordinary feats extraordinary for men but just unusual for women because women are capable of that and higher more frequently than for men and 
And the same is true on the low ranges. So you get some, some like the classic is the deep operatic male voice, just really, really, really low. And there, there are some challenges like a male opera singer. They're incredible because it's when you have a lower voice, lower pitch, you have, you have to open up the, you have to pass more air in order to do that. And lungs are only so big, so you'll find, especially women with those really, like a Mariah Carey in her early days at least, I don't know what she's like now, but in her early days she could hold those ridiculous high pitches for a very long time with no breathing. So and there's a lot of singers who will be able to construct sentences with no breath. And so they'll, it's just one inhale and then the entirety of the thing all the way. And it's because it's a higher pitch and it requires less air, less air uh, passage, I guess I could say. And so it's, it's quite a feat for men down at the low range to be able to do that. And there's a particular, cause I had explored all kinds of music to try to learn what I like. And I learned that the kind of voice I like, cause most, most music is are love songs. And so I like female singers and, um, it turns out that the voice that I really like after looking back at the last, you know, certainly 20 years is I like a voice that's called contralto, which is the lowest range that a woman is capable of. And I'm still exploring it, not actively right now, because I'm just way too busy, but because I do international music a lot. I listen to a lot of stuff. I don't quite, even though I, I recognize that they're all love songs, I don't, uh, I don't quite hear lyrics. So it doesn't really matter what language things are in. And so I've been listening to Turkish music and I talked about this a long time ago. Hopefully that jogs your, your memory minion. So I was talking about Turkish uh, music. Yeah. And, uh, uh, cause as it turns out, I'll, all of the women that in Turkish that I heard singing, all of them were contralto, like all of them. I don't fully understand the mapping because I don't, I don't have the ear for it. So I don't know if that's the correct word for all of them, but they all sounded kind of like in that range to me. You know, I'd have to look them up and some professional use a tuning instrument to understand their ranges and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I just, they just sound like contralto to me. And I, I think it's part of the language. I still, I still do think it cause I'm, I'm, I hear interviews and stuff like that. And they just sound like that. They're down there. They're not, I don't think it's a cultural thing. Maybe it's a cultural thing that they're, that part of the language has them speak in a certain way. And that just naturally brings the voice down, which, which is kept like that's, that's their, that ends up being their range for, for the people that do sing. Maybe it's just like that. Um, and it, it's possible for some, oh, well, whatever, whatever. So I like that particular range of sound. So when I, when I go out and I look for new, new stuff, I can actually predict whether or not I'm going to like someone, whether or not it's probably going to pay off for me to push past something I might not like about a song or a singer. Uh, to give them a better chance than the next one over because I've had a ma I've had a I've listened to so many I don't know tens of thousands of hours of of music although there's far too much of the same songs on repeat kind of thing right um, 
and that, that I have learned that there's just certain, that it does come down to a certain vocal range, even, even more than, um, music is vo voice style seems to matter a lot to me. Oh, heck, let me bring it up right now. So speaking of vocal ranges, one of the women who's singing, I absolutely love wh whose name I can't pronounce. So I'm going to look her up real quick. Okay, so here we go. Did I actually spell her? Okay, Anneke van Heersbergen. Heersbergen. Okay, so she's a, she's a singer that I first learned in uh, 1999 from uh, a, there's a magazine. And a, there was a magazine and it had a, a sampler CD. And I was fortunate enough to be in the correct scene at that time to be introduced to heavy metal, which is not the same then as now. And, and, and it turns out there's a ludicrous variety there. So it's a, it's a challenging, it's, it was challenging to go through and there's a lot, ooh, man, there's some really dark stuff, at least at the time. Ooh, man. Anyhow. She, this this woman was in a band called The Gathering. The Gathering was around before her, and it is now around since she had left it. Anyhow, so her, she's she's absolutely astonishing. And so I I've been I I bought everything. <laughs> I got to see them in concert and all this kind of stuff, and and it's just wonderful, wonderful stuff. And so. I love, I love the music and it turns out her voice is somewhere. I wonder if it actually says here in the Wikipedia article, what her vocal range is. No, that would be something that's useful. Why, why, why would anybody write that down? That's, that's terrible. Oops. I'm here. Nope. Wait, why is she listed as a band? That doesn't even make sense. What? Okay. Head explode. Head exploding slash confusion <laughs> imminent. Apparently, she had a band named after her, because I knew. Okay, whatever. That's just weird. The things you know. Yeah. Okay. Anyhow. Um. But you'll never see her in person. Well, I have seen her in person. That's the thing. Um. Oh. So. You'll never see her in person again. Damn, man! It would be, it would be nice to actually get confirmation of her vocal range, but she, she's she's, anyhow, right? We are not all things to all people, so I happen to like her a lot, and I, I was poking around, and thanks to the uh, the sentience of of what is YouTube, um, I got a recommendation because I was poking around. I'm like, oh, I haven't heard this music in a long time. So I queued it up because I was playing with my new phone because I was playing with new apps and I got a YouTube replacement and I'm tinkering with a different one and, and I'm poking around and YouTube recommends this this other band. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll just check this out. Because every once in a while I'm like, well, she's pretty. I wonder what she sounds like. And I'll just go through music like that. And it occasionally really pays off. And I could, I actually thought about about going over the kinds of music I like and but the thing the problem is with uh copyright and stuff like that things things have just become really bad 
so I can't actually play any of the stuff I like. So it's, I mean, uh, yeah, right, right. I'm, I'm salty about that. So I found a lot of bands that I really end up liking a lot of. And it turns out that she, so she left the band, The Gathering, because like, hey, by the way, women have babies. They're the one that actually have the babies. I, I know it's a shock. I'm sorry if there's some young people here, but it's a thing. And the thing is, when you've got a baby, you can't cart the baby around with you when you're on tour all day, every day for years on end. It's not a thing. So she, she, she toured pregnant as a start. So like that awesome. She did end up having to leave the band though. And it's one of these things where I'm like, "Mm." she, she left. And I think she, she pushed to make sure that touring was really good for their last album. And then she left. And, uh, so I got to see her the last time she played in Toronto ever. And, um, that was a wonderful experience because if there's anybody that's recorded it, you'll get my voice shouting at the last name of the last song calling for it, which was nice. Cause it's the song that first introduced me to them. And they were, op- they were opening for a band called the gap uh, called, uh, so the gathering was opening for a band called Lacuna Coil and Lacuna Coil also has a contralto singer who I also like. And, uh, Lacuna Coil used to open f- when they toured, used to open for the gathering. And this was the gathering opening for Lacuna Coil as their farewell. So it was really wonderful. Everybody else was going for, for Lacuna Coil because they were getting really, really popular there. It's one of these, oh man, there's, there's this, there's this misperception about heavy metal that there aren't women in it, which is the biggest joke ever. Cause I, I also got to see in concert the literal queen of heavy metal like that's her title and nobody's going to contest it ever um her name's doro doro pesh tiny man she's tiny (laughs) she's so little um and uh just a powerful presence and I, i also got to see her in a tiny place in toronto it was wonderful it was motivating um anyhow it it was it was Everybody else was going to see Lacuna Coil, who was on this tour, this like, uh, uh, it's, it had some, some sexier name, but it is like a women in metal thing. And so it was a bunch of heavy metal, a bunch, bunch of female fronted heavy metal bands. So it's an actual just permanent placement of that singer. Lacuna, Lacuna Coil, for some reason, still keeps this man as this backup singer. He's awful. <laughs> he sings with an accent, so you know he's not really singing. It's just a dude. And I think they're just really great friends. So he's around, but man, is he a third wheel? I don't like him at all. Um, so, so it was rather nice. Everybody else came for that band, but, uh, I came for the gathering. I knew I, of course I wanted to see Lacuna Coil because I also liked them as well. But so learning what you like in terms of the so a lot of people say, well, I'm into this kind of music and they just, they name something. But the thing about a lot of it is, is I, I can't say that I like heavy metal because that doesn't mean anything because heavy metal has 
it's so how would I explain? Okay, so heavy metal is heavy and it's metal, right? Okay, so that doesn't mean anything. What it means is it's is it is allowed to go past the range of hardness in terms of loudness uh, than rock. Okay, so that that's so it's like it's harder than hard rock. It's angrier or it's louder. Okay? Now that, that's kind of where the heavy comes from and the metal comes from, and it's still using the same kind of instrumentation, the classical, the, the drums, the guitars. It tends to go a little bit more extreme. It tends to not have bass in it, bass guitars, but it will push stuff like that. But it's also extraordinarily experimental. That's just the extreme that it can get to. But so a band like The Gathering doesn't have a classification. And, and it doesn't matter and they don't care. So they've been classified as heavy metal because they got a bunch of music that's that's nice and powerful. But with a singer like her, like, like you it's not she she her voice isn't like there's a certain kind of voice that might lend itself to heavy metal. She's got one that's way outside that range. Like she's capable of doing it, but she's a powerful and capable uh, she can do operatic type stuff. There's a, an entire class of heavy metal that has operatic singing. It's really weird stuff. And I kind of don't like it. So she's capable of, of beautiful singing. Um, but I don't think they have any songs that are operatic per se. But she's not really capable of the angry stuff. Or she does just doesn't do it. Which I love. Oh man, I'm so... I'm passionate about this. So... The thing about um, the thing about understanding more and more about what you like and, and understanding the language of it and doing your research and and following up and keeping that in mind and exploring and on and on and on is you get to identify the stuff that you're pretty sure you're just going to fall in love with if you if you commit the time. And I learned more from I explored a lot of heavy metal and female fronted heavy metal, and it's it's more and more of a theme. Um, these days, um, it was never back in the day ever thought of as being, um, what, what would the term be like a fad? So nowadays people would, would start up a band and they, they plunk a woman down as the, as the head singer, maybe the only singer. And then go, then, then they'd go raw women, see point, point at their figurehead. But back in the day, it would just, that would just be the thing. And nobody cared. No, nobody would go raw women uh, because it's, yeah, okay, well, thanks for pointing that out. That wasn't the point. The point was having a good band with good music. And a lot of the the touring started happening in the early 90s with, with and then just showcasing it as, as women, which is the strangest thing ever. So it's hard to punch through that facade into authenticity. So there are a lot of bands that are just raw, raw, and they, but they're hollow. They're garbage bands. So they're they're stat, they're the the classic manufactured, massaged, sculpted band that that's got a a planned persona, but it's not good music. It's just not. And so it's it's getting a little difficult to navigate through that stuff to find bands. So the thing I like is female fronted 
and contralto voices. So I have to punch through the fad, the what's what's the term, the tokenism of having a female singer into actual authentic good music, which is very very challenging. Um, it's like if you had a thing for a, a fairly average uh, average vocal range, but a powerful singer, female, let's say, you would have to punch through the tokenism of pretty girl. So, you know, those, those classic, um, oh man, and there's just, that's what all music is. And you'd have to just walk through all of the absolute, um, the, the absolute trash of contemporary pop music is what that kind of person would have to go through, which I, I really don't envy <laughs> there. So for example, if we're like, so the, the classics are like, well, which do I like Madonna or Cyndi Lauper? Because they come out in pairs. The the Disney girls come out in pairs, right? So Madonna is the is the nice girl and and Cindy Lauper is the the edgy girl, right? And Madonna went <laughs> went off off the edge because she sold things uh, as sexuality pretty early on. And uh, Cindy Lauper was has been consistently rough, rough at the edges. And then you can you can wind up further into the future, like, okay, well, the equivalent ended being ended up being things like Britney Spears versus Christina Aguilera, right? They can all start off fairly tame. Britney Spears was the extra cute, innocent one, and then Christina Aguilera got edgy, got you know she she was the the bold one that was sticking it to the man. This kind of stuff. So both managed personalities. Maybe it's drawn from real life, and then what what's more recent like. There's a whole, I haven't been paying attention because I grew up, but um, there are parallels in the music that we have now. And if I look back through the timeline of all that stuff, well, which would I like, Madonna or Cyndi Lauper? Cyndi Lauper. Which would I like, Britney Spears or Christina Aguilera? Christina Aguilera. Because they have a certain voice. And you'll always see that there's a, a lower pitch going all the way up, reaching all the way up when they come out in these pairs because they're, they're, they're managed. <laughs> They're managed in teams like this for every generation. Um, and uh, and so I will be. I can actually pick out the things I like a little bit easier out of pop music. Now it, it turns out that I happen to like a lot of variation anyway, so I'm not so limited. Now the I haven't done it in a few years now, but I had a thing where I was looking into trance music. And trance music is, is just like heavy metal. There's no such thing. And there's a ludicrous amount of different words to describe different things. And different terms to describe segments of how the music acts. But trance is a thing where there are, there are remixes. <laughs> and sometimes, sometimes, the remixes are better than the original. And that makes things complicated. Because you, ha you now have the extra complexity of having a DJ and DJ remixes on top of the regular, uh, the regular release. And there's a club remix, an official one, and there's a radio remix and there's a lot of nuances and complexities. So just like heavy metal might have a 15 minute song, you can have trans songs that are eight, eight minutes long and that's not appropriate for radio. So there's a cutback version for radio. And it's not quite it's not quite energetic enough because it's got some some light spaces, it's got some buildup, it's got some experiment, so it's not appropriate for clubs. So there's a remix for clubs, and then 
all of these DJs make make their own. It is part of the culture for other people to pick up that stuff and work with it and do things with it. And the DJs are extremely popular in their own right. And a DJ can make the band because the DJ will pick something up and make something great out of something that was relatively unknown. And that will be what, what propagates. So for example, um, so there's a song called Titanium. And the song, <laughs> I only know it from the singer. So let me ask the great oracle that is YouTube. I think her name is Sia Furler. And yeah, Sia Furler, who I actually knew. So it was really weird to, to find her in this song. So, and the thing is, the, the song is by, I can't pronounce his name necessarily, David Guetta. And the, the song made the singer. And she, she was saying that it's the most popular thing that's come out of her. And it took, I think, 45 minutes. To, to do the singing for this song and she's an she's an incredible singer um but there are circumstances like that where a really good quality dj will pick up another band will remix their song into something and it isn't necessarily because of the name of the dj that's that they're lending their fame because that's enough sometimes but it, it's also they took something and they made it great they took they themselves are a master of their craft and they're working with something that had good potential and they saw it and they pulled it all out and they, they released their flavor and they're popular and their flavor is popular and the band was great material to work with and they make the song. They're the one that makes that song popular, even if it's only through their remix, but they also make the band um, more noticeable. They give them some boost some lift so so yeah that that all came from you not remembering minion having a terrible memory for contralto so contralto voice female low vocal range um, i find it just more passionate it's more substantial for me and as it turns out turkish has a lot of that in it so that's why it's been several weeks since i've actually cared about that but i should probably get further into it um, I'm just busy. Right my now. brain's the size of a peanut. Well, I I have a lot of stuff that I'm interested in all simultaneously, and it's it, I have to make in order. For, okay, so the I've talked about the eighty twenty thing a lot, like a lot, right? And the thing is that that doesn't necessarily apply to me because I don't quite work like that. So what is 80% time to other people is, uh, I, is, is like my, is not because I'm particularly smart, is like my 60%, something like that. And that's only because I, I have, dumb. sorry? He called himself silly. Silly? Or, no, I'm thinking of something else, never mind. <laughs> okay. Um, so, and it's because my my train of thought is pushed further from the normalcy of the 80% out into the exploratory 20%. So it can be, I can actually fill my brain up and be, I'll, I'll end up being really distracted. So it ends up being extraordinarily important for me to optimize what time I, I have actually have a, a 
good concentration for. So I make best use for it. But the problem is I will throw in so many things that I'm interested in. Like right now, what am I interested in? Well, I haven't worked on the book for a long time. And even before we, the last time I haven't worked on it in a long time. And before that I hadn't look, worked on it in a long time. And so it's like, it's falling out of my brain. Uh, I haven't, I've got a second computer. I haven't booted up in a long time. I couldn't, couldn't even remember the password to log in. It was, it's that bad. Um, I'm interested in gardening. Um, still I'm, I'm now, I had a major research project to understand all the hardware related to it, but I have to understand landscaping. So I'm interested in that. I'm learning about that. Um, I've been learning about the audio engineering stuff and this podcast, which are separate. Um, I've got, you know, I've got my own personal writings, which I've had to set down. You can call them short stories, but they're not. I had to, cause I just don't, I'm full. My brain is full. I mean, I could look about the room and be like, well, the phone, right? That was a major project for a long time. That derailed how much of my brain? I don't know. Um, I've been paying attention to some of the internal stuff with Canadian politics, which I'm not going to talk about because I don't, I don't know what, I don't think anybody knows what's going on really. We might call a snap election, which will tumble our civilization into darkness. Who knows? Um, and uh, so I've been thinking about, you know, all the stuff that I'm ordering on Amazon to, to help improve the yard and my, my bedroom, for example. My bedrooms, I've got some modifications I want to do to the way things work and, and so on and so on and so on, right? Now, when I get stressed with the number of things that I'm interested in, I might reach out to relax into something. And I'll, I'll end with this. And... And the thing is that might threaten to become interesting and will just make things worse and will displace something else. So most recently, and I'll do this every once in a while is every once in a while, I will, I will just go through, I'll spend a couple of hours, no joke, going through movie previews. And there are some channels that they, their claim to fame is just compiling a whole lot of different trailers and mashing them all together. That's, I mean, nobody's going to complain because it's the free advertising that, um, the, the movie makers, etc., all want, but, but so I get to sit down, I went through a playlist and stuff like that and I'll see movie after movie and I'm really specific. Okay. Again, with the singing, there's an equivalent for movies. I know I like science fiction, right? I know I like, uh, ruined world stuff or dystopic stuff or right uh, not wartime necessarily but you, you make it wartime with aliens i'm totally on board i like anything that tinkers with uh, understanding reality or artificial intelligence again that's science fiction and and so so i can so i can see a, like a sci-fi previews um clip and i'm totally on board and so i actually spent a long time going through some of that stuff, uh, literally yesterday, late, late last night. And it's, it was really weird. Cause I'm like, okay, yeah, oh, this was great. This is great. Oh, Hey, I've already seen that one. Oh, and like, I saw, I saw this movie. I saw this movie some time ago. Well, not that long ago, but like a month ago. And I'm, I'm seeing in this preview reel, it's like coming in 2021. I'm like, wait, Wait, am I in the wrong timeline again? Cause I've seen that movie already. <laughs> Wait, is this a part two that's coming out? 
Wait, no, no. No, this is the original. Huh. I guess it... Somebody made a mistake. So I've already seen that movie. And, uh... And that particular movie was called Coma. Came out in 2020. Yeah, it's on DVD. And it's, uh... It's Russian. And it's... It's, uh... It's... I don't know that it's one of those cases where... Um... It was curated by English English speaking specialists of science fiction. They're like, "Hey, we found this one. We think it's really good. We think you'll like it, even though it'll have to be subtitled, or or uh, dubbed." Which I hate. I hate dubbing. Um, and uh, I think it's a little more popular. I don't know that it got released outside of Russia. I think it must have. And but it's 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 a good movie. So Coma is a good movie. And I had seen it before. I had already seen it before. Um, so it was... It's weird to go through these lists because occasionally there would be something that I was interested in. And and that... So I'll go through like old movie trailers and stuff like that. And I'll find a, a mention of something that I totally forgot about. Because it's not like... It's not like the olden days where I'll leaf through a newspaper and find a movie section and see what's playing. Like, I... I will have heard of something from the buzz that goes around and then I'll forget it. Maybe I'll bookmark it. Maybe it might be in my bookmarks. I have not looked at my bookmarks. I'll forget it. Yeah, so it'll it'll just go away. I've got thousands of bookmarks. You have no idea. None of whatsoever. Can you actually say it's thousands not close to the million? Well, I don't have a tool that helps me count them. So I don't think you would want to see that tool. I, 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 before I die, I'm going to go through my bookmarks. Who knows when you'll die? I, well, I might be mortal. I'm not really sure. So, um, you should plan for the, plan for the worst. With a paint, with a body that responds to pain. I don't think that's. Well, it's a great simulation, man. I think this is pretty mm-hmm. interesting experience. I don't like the eyes though. I need new eyes. Or the back. Or, well, you know, I complain about everything, but I'm doing okay. Are the extra are the extra are the extra amount of sensory? Well, yeah, I kind of have too much to work with, so you know, whatever. Not you're not a demigod, but you're somewhat over there. Oh no, I'm not better than other people. I got there's a. There's oh, I didn't a, say you're better trade-offs. than other people. I'm saying that you have like. Well, that's what a demigod is. More to work with. A demigod, the classic description of a demigod is a li- is like when Zeus comes along yet again and seduces yet another woman or whatever, and and there is an offspring. And Zeus is like, nope, and leaves because Zeus is Zeus. And there's some half-god watering around, like, who is literally half-god, who is literally half-Zeus, so has some muted version of of the parent powers, so to speak. Or something quite unique, and it—it's the heroic stories of ancient Roman or Greek gods that that have these these people. These they're great stories. You should learn, learn totally, learn about them. They're no, dumb, but they're great. No, you actually shouldn't. All the some of them are a bit depressing. Well, yeah, but but I'm like they're still they're pretty cool. They're pretty cool. Uh, They're not like fairy tales, man. Fairy tales are just dumb. But fairy tales are a lot more depressing than God 
and then tales involving gods. Yeah. And then they all died. What was the lesson? There was no lesson. <laughs> it was I just mean... a fairy tale. <laughs> like, oh, great. Well, um, yeah. Or, or it really is depressing. Like, I forget. Was it the Greek gods? How they killed their own creators? No, they didn't kill. They imprisoned or something their, uh, their own creators and used them oh. against them. the Titans. I... The, um, do, 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 do. Actually, I should probably get bored and look this up. Yeah, I mean, understanding, so, so our, we can say what ended up settling into the English language cultures, English language primary speaking cultures, let's call it the things that spawned from Greece, okay? So from Greece to Rome, from Rome specifically to the Holy Roman Empire, specifically into Christianity, that that swallowed a whole lot of the ideas of, I'm not talking about Christianity, but all the things in Christendom that, all the things that that hand reached through, so all of the mythologies from the Norse through to the Roman and the Greek, through to everything in between. Because I could tell you about I could tell you about gnomes and you'll understand. I could tell you about fairies and you'll understand. I could tell you druid and I can use a whole lot of these words. And they're from totally different cultures all over the place. And we know all these things. And we don't know all these things necessarily because of movies, for example. I know things because of role-playing games like Dungeons and Dragons or like a lot of the other things. So just steal from all mythology everywhere. Um, and so um, there's a lot of fascinating stuff in there, all through there, with lessons? No, <laughs> that wasn't the point of the storytelling. It's just because it, it's mythology, and that's not like we fairy tales are just dumb. Um, we think of fairy tales as having lessons, that's not what they are. Maybe contemporary versions are. Um, uh, mythology uh, is is also just dumb it doesn't necessarily have lessons to be learned for example so there's you, you'd have to reach pretty far to find uh, the tales of heroism of fighting as being things you'd have to learn from so if if you were to talk about the the story the mythology with um I can't remember the name of the guy. Um, the The quest this one guy went on to find the the golden mantle and to find the he had a mirrored shield to go and fight the Medusa, like I'm. You can stretch things and find lessons in everything, but it's just it's stories, it's mythology, it's interesting, it's cool stuff, and um, and there's a whole lot of that throughout that's available that is we don't even know what to call all this stuff and we don't consider it valuable for retelling it's not part of our current stuff um but it's there and we're not actively oppressing it or anything like that uh, well we're not uh, and uh but it is it's wildly fascinating for uh, I, I don't know how to explain it it's just it's interesting it's part of part of us we take some of it and like disney makes movies of some of it and um and some of it's really cool and interesting and 
and all this kind of stuff. So we know about gingerbread houses and things like that that come from fairy tales. Um, that <laughs> I don't think I've read that one yet. I'll, I'll get to that eventually. That was a different project of mine is actually reading fairy tales on camera. I haven't done that in a very long time. I'm not even sure how to how to use my camera setup anymore because it's been so long. That's depressing. <laughs> okay. Hmm? All right. Well, it seems like we're a bit over our time here. <laughs> Are we five minutes over? Yeah. That's okay. We had no questions to work with. So we'll we'll get stuff that's uh, on our YouTube channel or something like that that we'll talk about. And, and there was, I think there was also stuff left over that I could maybe save for next show. So I've got more work cut out for me. I'll probably be too burnt out, but I'm definitely spending most of tomorrow working on this. More stuff. Oh, okay. So we're done. Uh, thank you all for listening. Hopefully this is going to be up in the next week or so on our YouTube channel. You can find more about us and subscribe and see our live show or see our, or subscribe to our YouTube channel, etc., and get future updates on lucidindifference.com. Well, thank you all for listening. I'll see you again real soon.